Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. Good start. Let's hit it. Good start. I nailed it. All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. I am your host today, Connor Mueller, and I'm joined by my buddy Bones. Hello. And this is, hello, this is going to be episode 149. We're almost there. We're almost at the 150, yes. Before we jump into today's episodes, I just want to remind our listeners to take less than one minute and please head over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a rating and review. And this really goes a long way for us because the more ratings we receive, the more visible we become on the platform and it helps people find us easier. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. Bones, how are you? I'm doing well, doing well. I, I've got my mustache back, which it's been a while. Got mm. that back. The reviews at the, some people didn't like it, but that's okay. I'm going to keep it. And feeling pretty good. We just moved into our house. We yeah. touched on that a bit last week. And it's been, moving is always a process. Like it's always um, a bit more stressful than what you think it is. Because you get the excitement of where you're going and the new place and it's nicer and it's good. But then like that in-between time of like moving everything and you open closets and you realize you have like 45 towels that you've never (laughs) used and like sheets are everywhere and there's like things under your sink that you have to clean. And uh, so obviously that's a bit stressful, but we're a bit settled now. We had a lot of help. We hired a lot of help this time, more than we've ever done before. And uh, yeah, we're feeling good. We're, We're settling down. So I'm good. Yeah. Moving is an unsettling experience. Mm -hmm. And it was so smart of you to hire extra help. We did a lot of the small things ourselves, put a lot of stuff in boxes. I put a lot of boxes and like items that I wanted to into the U-Haul. And then the movers came in the morning and got like our couch, our ottoman, bed, dresser, stuff that weighed really heavy that we had to go downstairs and we're like, eh, you know, we're probably capable of doing it, but we don't want to. So we yes. didn't. And then they came and unloaded a bunch of stuff into the new place. And then we hired a maid service to like do a deep clean on the old apartment oh, um, because we have to leave it, leave it cleanish to get our deposit back. Right. So we paid a little bit, which goes into our deposit, but hopefully we'll get it all back. So yeah, oh, we definitely gosh. hired out. That's so smart. Just outsource that. I have, I just had flashbacks of yeah. so many memories of moving. And then, yeah, you forget about the cleaning that you have to do. You have to clean your old place and you also have to clean your new place. So it's like this double cleaning. Usually the new, the new place is, usually the new place is fairly clean, but that's the stress of it too. Mm, yeah. I, at least this house, when we moved in, it was, it was clean. We got a pretty good situation where the people that own the house actually lived in it before us. So it's not like a rental that gets passed through a bunch of people. Okay. Yeah. The owners lived here, so they really cared for it, uh, which we liked because it feels like a home. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was clean when we came in, 
Um, but the stress of like maintaining that cleanliness now. Oh, is like, sure. All right. You know, because we just moved out of our apartment and we're like, this is gross. There's like cracks and nooks and underneath cabinets and and tables and shit that we haven't cleaned in like so long that we don't want our new place to be like that, you know? Right. Yeah, totally. A lot of the places that I've moved into, the requirement upon move out for the other person is it has to be broom swept. Hmm. Which is um, an, a very vague term. And what I found is broom swept means you do nothing upon move out. You know, you open drawers, there's crumbs in them still, there's yeah. stains, the stove is still gross. You know, the bathroom <laughs> has hair in it. Um, so I always feel the need to clean when I move in because it feels like I don't know. Somebody, it's somebody else's. Someone else has lived here. Uh, I just don't like that feeling. Yeah. You had like the experience of like you moving out and you're like, I really didn't clean that much because the requirement wasn't there. Yeah. But then you move in and you're like, it's probably like someone's going to move into my old space. And like you didn't. Like, that type of thing. Oh, there's I, I bust my ass to clean, though, when I move out. Because I'm so paranoid I won't get the deposit back. <laughs> yeah. But, right. I mean, broom swept doesn't sound like a lot. No. And it's, it's not a lot. Right. It's nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. But the next time we do this, I'm totally going to outsource. Hire made, hire movers. It's, it, it was the way to go. Much less stressful. But you still controlled your own items. So if you're like moving far distance across the state, or geez, across the country, keep your stuff with you, like in a U-Haul. It's expensive, but like you'll have control of your stuff. And just hire mm. people to move things in and out when you get to the destination. Yes. That's the way I, we are going to do it when we move back to Michigan for sure. Because, yeah, moving stressful. That's good wisdom. It's all good. How are you? Good. Good. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't do, do Ryder and Millie, your... Your wiener dogs, do they have lots of toys? Oh, yeah. We got a whole basket of toys. And Ryder they have like, lots of toys. goes in there and gets her nose in there and like sniffs around and like pulls out a rope and just drops it and then goes for a different <laughs> toy. Yeah. So they have a bunch of toys. <laughs> so Annie, who's our lab, she does not have a lot of toys. Annie is mm. a very aggressive chewer. So any toy she gets her hands on, she immediately rips to shreds. And even even Kongs, you know, Kongs are supposedly this indestructible plastic. She will shred them. And so Corey and myself got to the point of, well, we're just not going to buy her toys because it seems like the toy doesn't last long enough. So the value that isn't there for us, the investment isn't there for us. But lately I've been on a mission to find indestructible dog toys and i'll tell you why i'm on this mission annie girlfriend's got a lot of energy and it becomes a daily mission of mine to drain her energy which is hard it's it's really hard on occasions so even after you know a 60 minute walk 
She comes home, she eats dinner, and she gets the crazies. And even mm-hmm. after we play ball, because she loves, she loves playing with the tennis ball in the backyard, even after we throw the ball in the backyard, at nighttime is when she becomes this wild woman and she has this anxious energy and she like paces around the house. And mm, yeah. when I'm trying to wind down for the day, she hits her peak. <laughs> and it's <laughs> exhausting. It is so exhausting. So most days, at the very least, I can get her out on a 30-minute walk and we can play ball in the backyard for five or 10 minutes. That's 40 minutes of activity. I Googled how much activity the average lab needs. Do you want to know what Google said? 25 minutes. 80 minutes. Uh, uh, No, 80. Okay, I'm going to say, yeah, it was probably way more. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 80 minutes. So you're like, you're doing, you're doing half of what, yeah. Of what she needs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to drain this dog's energy? Because on occasion, when she does have a really high day of energy at night, she's just, she's tired and she lies down and the whole energy mm-hmm. in the house shifts. And I feel this sense of calm. But every day I wake up, And my mind goes to, okay, when is Annie going to get on a walk? When am I going to play ball with her? What's the weather? Is it going to rain today? So I've been on this mission to find toys that promote like interest and activity. And I got her one toy so far. It's supposedly indestructible and it has, you know, like treats in it. So she has to kind of play with it to get the treats out. And so that works. Yeah, that works pretty well. And she can gnaw on it and it's this heavy duty duty rubber. And then I was doing all this research on indestructible dog toys and I have them all in my Amazon cart. And I there's Mm -hmm. another one. It's like a pineapple and it's got all these like grooves in it. And it's another thing that you can put treats in and they have to kind of move it around to get the treats out. And then there's another there's this big ball called a jolly ball and it's a self-play toy it's supposed to be like uh what did they call it it was like a scoot and play or a a push and play (laughs) okay so that you put it in the backyard or you put it in the house and the dogs like push it around and play with it themselves but it's big enough that they can't fit it in their mouth and destroy it and then does it make noise when it pushes around or anything no, I haven't bought her anything with a squeaker in it yet. Okay. Oh, I mean, she, that's like recipe for disaster. Yeah, she loves squeaky toys. So I might get her a squeaky toy. I looked at one. It was like a hedgehog. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't know. The squeaker might drive me bonkers. Yeah. So I don't know if the squeaky toy is going to work. There's one more item in my cart, which is a doggy weighted vest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Caesar Milan, yeah, Caesar Milan, Mm -hmm. the dog whisperer recommends a weighted vest for really active dogs. 
And he says, you know, a 30 minute walk will actually feel more like a 60 minute walk for the dog. So I thought, brilliant. I'll just put the weighted vest on her and she'll wear that. Yeah. I mean, and weighted vest, weighted blankets, like you talk about anxious energy. They make those like mm-hmm. the Thunder Buddy <laughs> yeah. is like a blanket that you can put on a dog that's like anxious for like fireworks or whatever and it like calms them down. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, I mean, that makes sense, right? We put weighted vests on and that's like a harder walk slash workout. So that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. We have, um, we got our dogs uh, kind of what you got, but like it's like a treat tray mm-hmm. and it's a puzzle. Yeah. So you got to like put the treats in the puzzle and there's different harder versions. You could just put the treat in the little cup when cover it up and they have to nose it out of the way and get the treat. Or you can cover up the cup with a lid and then Mm. put the treat in the other lid and they have to unlock the cup and then nose the second cup over top of or nose the second lid over top of the cup and then push that out of the way to get the treat so like there's different levels that was kind of confusing um but they they kind of sucked at it at first until like they got it Mm -hmm. and now i had to stop giving it to them because millie grew like a thousand brain cells And Ryder grew like a million brain cells and like all these new synapses happened. They're like, like things went online. It caused my dogs to like go live and they decided they knew how to open zippers and they like opened our backpack zippers and pulled out like protein bars and shit and opened up the protein bars. Like they were zipped up. We know they were zipped up. And so we were like, all right, well, they're too smart. So we stopped giving that to them. They've gotten yeah. too smart because of the toy. The toys were too effective. Yeah, too effective. Yeah, that's going to be my my <laughs> review on online. Toy too effective. Dog yeah. gets into my backpack now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's hilarious. <laughs> okay, really quick. I wanted to share that I just made a really killer meal, which is beef stroganoff. Yes. How was it? Was it super good? Yeah, so I I prepped it this afternoon. I did taste. It's for dinner later tonight. I'm going to bring dinner to Corey nice. at the park cuz he works till 10:30 tonight. So I'm going to bring it to him during mm. his break, but as a chef, I had to taste test it. Man, I love beef stroganoff. So good. It's so so good. For people that are listening that don't know what it is, it's we use Apsi ground beef. And then it's egg noodles, garlic, beef broth, and then mushrooms. And I put like double the amount of mushrooms in it. And then some Worcestershire sauce and mustard. Mm. And then I added peas to it just for like more veggies and to add some green color in there. But it's so hearty. Especially that now that it feels like fall outside and the seasons are changing. It's such a fall meal. It's one of my favorites and it's become like one of my favorites in the past four years or so. And it eats like chili. Like it, you label, you name something like mustard and you're like, it's not like, it's not like you're topping the thing with mustard. It like, mm-hmm. it's all mixed in. It eats like chili. You just have some different flavor profiles. Um, like you, you like mixed all of yours in one thing I've had where you'd have egg noodles and like, just like scoop on top 
oh like the, yeah. the beef and mushrooms and and like the sauce i guess is what it then so either, mm-hmm. i mean either way it's the same thing but just like different way to eat it but yeah man beef stroganoff the first time i had it jessica's mom made it for me while i was watching their house and their dogs probably like mm-hmm. four or five years ago and i didn't know what it was she's like hey I just put this on top of the noodles it's really good and i was like okay and it was like it like it caused my brain to be like and like i started making connections and my brain was like this is a whole new world of beef stroganoff and it was super good so yeah how many times have you guys made it so far I would say it's a staple, but we probably only make it during the fall and the winter months. Yeah. But it's it's so easy. I forget how easy it is because it's a one pot meal. And really, I think it I think it took me, I don't know, 20 minutes from start to finish. Yeah, so very easy. little, very little nice. prep. The only thing I really had to chop up were the mushrooms and the garlic. So it was simple and it's it's tasty. Do you do you cook it in a Dutch oven? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we we got one of those last year. So you'll have to send us how you make it so we can make it too. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll send it to you. But yeah, yeah super we easy. We don't have a recipe, but it's something. I want to make. Cool. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned uh, you use Apsi Farms beef ground beef, oh, and yeah. uh, we've been working with Apsi Farms for a while now, and. You guys have made this great connection with Kyle Apsey over at Apsey Farms, and we we uh, got hooked up with them, and we're partnering. So now you can, all of our listeners, uh, head over to apseyfarms.com, pick up a meat bundle. You can build whatever you want, however much you want, ground beef, grass-fed, grass-finished, uh, chicken, pork. What else do they have? Um, bacon, breakfast sausage. They have a, a ton of meat that you can choose from and uh you you build your meat bundle they ship mostly everywhere in the united states throughout the winter months they kind of cut back in the summer but we're in the winter now so head over use code warrior 10 at checkout for 10 percent off every single order that you order from them all right we're going to dive into this episode which i'm really excited to talk about because we're going to talk about injury today yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Bones, the first thing I want to start with is I want to hear your history with your personal history with injuries. Nothing. So I've never, all of my injuries have been kind of like that nagging type of issue that has gone on for a while and then blown up at one point, um, or something that I've dealt with as far as like chronic pain. I've never had break a bone break yet which is great. I've never torn a ligament or a muscle, um, which is great as well. I've never had those long recovery bouts of like what we see in like the orthopedic world or physical therapy mm-hmm. world where people come in um, like torn Achilles, ACLs, you know, all sorts of things, labrums, rotator cuffs, never had any of those, which is great. But mine has always been uh, chronic pain that has sidelined me from sports or working out. Um, and, and that's really been low back has been probably the biggest thing that I've dealt with, but I've also dealt with shoulder tendonitis, shoulder pain, um, neck pain for sure at times. And uh, I think if you go through CrossFit and you work out, you have some knee pain. And so I've dealt with some knee tendonitis and um, I've been thankful to only deal with those, but those can be really debilitating as well and hard to get over. 
um, because you are able to move with those and do things. It's just like, mm-hmm. you know, something's not right. Um, so that's been my history. What about you? Yeah, I've similar. I've been pretty lucky. Uh, as a former college athlete, I was a competitive swimmer, which is a relatively low impact sport. I would say the most common injury swimmers experience is a lot of shoulder issues. And I would argue that that's mostly due to probably a really high training volume, but also just a really poor movement pattern that just got reinforced over and over and over again and finally caused some, some shoulder issues. But I, didn't, I never had that. I was, I was really lucky as a swimmer. I didn't have really any injuries. I would say two injuries that come to mind. And it was very similar to what you were saying in that they kind of started off as intermittent pain and achiness that became more chronic over time is I had a really bad bout of plantar fasciitis, which I have so much empathy for people with with plantar fasciitis, which is that inflammation on the bottom of your foot. Because for me, man, that did not go away. It was like between six and nine months. It was Mm -hmm. very persistent. Anytime I did anything with impact, it would flare. And so I remember for a while I was going to workouts. I wouldn't jump rope. I wouldn't box jump. I wouldn't run. Everything had to be low impact. And even the low impact stuff, even if I did um, any Olympic lifting, cleans or snatches, just coming up onto my toe and down onto my heel was enough to inflame it and aggravate it again so i thought man this just this blows this is awful it really yeah i remember like we were subbing everything for you i remember is everything hurt you're always on your feet right yeah oh yeah it's always being affected yep it's that was miserable it eventually subsided and then I, you, you mentioned knee. I had, man, my left knee gave me a lot of grief for a long time. And it was, it was kind of a mystery for a long time too. And I think it had to do with my training volume increased pretty rapidly because I started doing double days, started squatting heavy a lot more. And again, it was like, okay, some days and other days it would hurt. And then it got to the point where anytime I would bend my knee, it was like really sharp pains to the point where my brain said, you shouldn't do this anymore. You, this is not good. Yeah. Um, and I ended, I did some personal, I I did some days. Yeah. I ended up doing some physical therapy for that, but that was, that was super annoying. But I'm constantly after having that experience and having having that feel like it sidelined me for a while from doing a lot of movements, I'm super cautious of any knee pain now. I am hyper sensitive to any knee pain. And if I start getting knee pain, I stop, I mobilize, I use um, the muscle floss, I activate, 
I do like all the things, like all the protocol, because <laughs> I'm so mm-hmm. afraid of all that. Of it. Yeah, I yeah. just throw the kitchen sink at it. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. That's that's very interesting that you say that because for people that have had those chronic issues that have come on, you on the other side of it, sometimes it goes away like insidiously, like it just goes away after just a certain amount of time. And once you get through that, it's like you become very aware of the early warning signs of like, this isn't right. This isn't right. And you actually listen to it. So you become a lot smarter. Whereas the first time you went through that, you're like, oh, my knee's kind of achy today. Mm, Well, I feel better now that I'm warmed up. So I'm going to keep going. And then you do that for like a month and you're like, man, my knee is still bothering me a bit more. And then you squat and it hurts the whole time. And you're like, well, I don't know. And then like it just like it keeps going, right? It gets yeah. worse and worse and worse to the point where you like you break down. And you're like, I have to go to physical therapy. But you become very in tune with those early warning signs of like, mm-hmm. oh, my knee doesn't feel very good. I'm not going to do this thing today because I know where this could go if I do it. And it's not good. Um, more injury later on. So it's very interesting because you're like that. I'm like that now. I'm talking to other people in the gym who have who who's also a swimmer, actually dealing with like plantar, I don't know if it's plantar fasciitis, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, yeah, she's like, uh, she's very in tune with the early warning signs, and like, you never when you go through something like that, plantar fasciitis, knee tendonitis, it's never like you're not cured, right? All you can do is yeah. continue to prevent, continue to prevent, 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 prevent. And you like ward it off and you get mm-hmm. further away from it. So yeah, you could become very in tune with those early warning signs. And that's smart. You should listen to it. Yes. That's good. Yeah. I think, okay, so we're talking about pain. And I think it's important before we continue to define like what is injury? Because just because I'm having pain okay. doesn't necessarily mean it's an injury, right? Well, Yes and no. Usually the pain means something is going on below the surface, whether it's uh, actually at the source of the pain or it's a referred pain. Like it, it, Some things could be going on somewhere in your body and can refer pain somewhere else in your body. That's what referred pain is. Mm. Um, but I, I would define injury as any trauma or irritation that causes acute or chronic inflammation that mm. isn't resolved with aerobic activity completely so that's like textbook definition that's how i would Mm -hmm. define it and that's something when i wanted to do this episode that i thought about because an injury isn't just a tear it isn't just a break or a strain or a pull it's this chronic it can be a chronic or an acute irritant that you're dealing with like knee tendonitis um um lower back pain that I, I would define that as an injury because it's altering your daily life and the activities that you want to do. Mm. Can you say more about when it's not an injury? So you might be having pain that's resolved with aerobic activity. What, it, what would be an example of that? Oh, I'm waking up. I'm having something is going on. I'm noticing something. But then I go for a walk and it's resolved. Yeah, yeah. So that would be like you just did five by five squats mm-hmm. and everything felt great and you woke up in the morning and now your your quads are really sore and your butt's really mm. sore. And we all kind of know that feeling 
of a good muscle soreness. So uh, DOMS, like delayed onset muscle soreness. So what's happening when you work out is, okay, the, the soreness used to be thought lactic acid, right? Lactic acid buildup is what causes the soreness, but that's not true. Lactic acid gets out of your system within, if it rises in your system, it's gone mm-hmm. within 40 minutes after a workout, completely mm-hmm. gone. Everything gets converted and it's gone. What causes that soreness is little micro trauma. So little tears in the muscle that you cause when you work out. So if you're squatting, you're constantly uh, um, going through eccentric phases, right? Or elongating the muscles and that causes micro trauma. And then you go through a concentric, concentric phase and you contract the muscle really hard and take it out of a stretched position and put it into a fully contracted position. Those causes micro, micro trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what causes the pain and inflammation. Literally. When you say, I'm getting swole, you're causing inflammation in your muscles. Like, I'm getting swole, and my muscles are bigger. Blood flow, yes, increased blood flow, but you're Mm -hmm. causing inflammation. So when you have that soreness, it it can be gotten rid of, I guess, I don't know, cured or resolved by aerobic activity, generally, in the way that you can restore your range of motion and reduce that pain. Mm-hmm. to hit the next session um so obviously it depends on programming and we're not going to go down that road like if you do five by five back squats tuesday you're probably not squatting again on wednesday um mm-hmm. but it's a good idea if you're really sore even if you have bench press or pull-ups to hop on a bike go for a walk hit yeah. a roller and warm your body up and c- clear some of that stuff out do a mm-hmm. flush is what is kind of popular to call it so your body feels good during that next session no matter what it is Mm -hmm. so that would be an example of aerobic activity getting rid of pain that's not an injury Mm -hmm. um, because you can get rid of it with aerobic activity under that definition yeah that clarifies that okay so you mentioned acute and chronic pain can you give quick examples for what that looks like sure like specific injury potential? Yeah, to help people understand, okay, is this an acute injury or is this chronic pain that's happening? Okay, acute injury in the orthopedic world is kind of tough because um, it could be like a jammed finger or something. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. It could be, um, you know, you kind of roll your ankle and it's a bit sore. Like That's acute. Anything less than... I think you're going to get different definitions, but I'm going to say two weeks until resolve would be mm-hmm. acute. I think anything over two weeks could start to become classified as chronic. I think yeah. the definition that what I learned going through school was like over eight weeks was defined as chronic textbook wise. So acute gets resolved relatively quickly. Chronic is something that sticks with you for eight, eight weeks plus. So lower back pain. A lot of people, <laughs> most of America, I think... Yeah. At this point, most of America has reported lower back pain. That's reported, which is crazy because there's still people out there that aren't saying anything. Right. Um, so that's a big one. Uh, chronic injury, any sort of tear or tendon rupture or bone break, that's chronic because that's going to take longer than eight weeks, depending on the severity, the grade of it. But if you talk about an ACL tear, you're out for a long time. Um, if you talk about an Achilles tear, or you talk about plantar fasciitis, um, that is usually plantar fasciitis is such a nagging thing and you hit it and you've experienced it in its full force. It takes 
sometimes up to a year for that stuff to resolve. And Mm -hmm. even going to physical therapy, it's extremely tough because you have to do a really good job of avoiding the irritant. And sometimes the irritant is walking. Mm -hmm. It it becomes really hard for people and patients um, to get over that. Same thing with a lot of other tendonitis, itises, inflammation. It's really hard to get over. So those are generally pretty chronic. Yeah. But a lot of like you can you can catch low back pain. Let me go off that for a sec. Yeah. Like if you go to the gym and you do uh, a back squat and let's say you're not bracing properly. So you go down and you come up and you feel like a twinge. We'll call it mm-hmm. a twinge in your low back and you rack it up and you're like, ah, I feel like I can't stand all the way straight up now. It hurts to stand straight up when I sit down for three minutes and I stand up like my back's sore. And this is the first time it's ever happened. And then it goes away. It just goes away. That could be counted as acute pain, acute injury, mm. where your body wasn't ready for that range of motion or that weight or intensity, or you didn't brace correctly under load, and you got uh, an injury. You paid for it a bit, but it went away. Mm. Um, so that could be resolved. But if you do that over and over again, eventually one of those times it's not going to go away, and then it becomes chronic. So you can catch things in its acute phase, and it's way easier to get rid of if you listen to it. And I think that's what, if you have ever suffered from chronic pain, chronic injury like that, you become really good at finding when it is acute so you can get rid of it because you don't want to deal with it when it becomes long-term. Yeah. It's such a lesson that I think everyone learns at least once in their life. For sure. Hopefully only once. Um, Hopefully. Yeah. It sucks. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fun to not be able to do the things you want to do. Yeah. A lot of this chronic pain and these injuries that you're talking about are so debilitating in that they impact everyday life and nobody's immune to them no not at all and it can happen to anybody whether you've never had keep going back to low back low back but if you've never had low back pain in your life it could happen to you on thursday Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter you know yeah it doesn't really leave anybody alone and i think if you talk to most people that work out they have all dealt with something. And so it becomes like a point, well, there's always an inherent risk. Mm-hmm. We're surround, I'm going to surround this conversation like around working out and exercise and CrossFit. There's always an inherent risk. But at what point is it more rewarding to do the exercise and take that risk than it is to deal with the orthopedic issues? Mm-hmm. So would you rather do CrossFit and get all of the all of the positive effects of aerobic and anaerobic activity and strength training um, that fights diabetes and metabolic health and brain health and social health while risking like, oh, my knee might be sore for eight months. That's not downplaying the sore knee, but you definitely, there's definitely a risk reward thing there where you're probably in better shape with a sore knee than you are with diabetes Mm -hmm. or uh alzheimer's at the end of your life or you know any any name it you know um so there is like a risk reward so when people say that you know you get hurt doing crossfit you get hurt doing exercise don't deadlift it's bad for your low back don't do um you know only squat in the smith machine or something you know it's safer it's like well everything is dangerous that's why things aren't recommended like that because if a doctor recommends go do CrossFit and you get hurt doing a box jump, guess what? Now that doctor's license is at stake. And that's a 
that's a different conversation. Um, could be at stake, right? If the patient's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to sue you because you recommended this and I got hurt. But there it definitely is like a risk reward where it becomes not almost worth it. Like if you deal with that, well, you still have all these other positive effects that you can look at. And uh, if going further down that rabbit hole is there are definitely ways to program around things to avoid those uh, obstacles as far as n- low back pain, knee pain, uh, any kind of pain, shoulder pain, mm-hmm. uh, that, that comes pretty specific and just having a good coach that can alter programming or having a good program to begin with that doesn't um, put people in the dirt mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. Man, yeah. you brought up so many great points. Okay, so there's two things that come to mind. I have a few personal training clients that will text me, you know, 24 hours before we have a session. And they say, oh, I, I fell and I twisted my ankle. I'm going to have to cancel tomorrow. And my response is, it's, yeah, thanks for letting me know. It's, it's totally okay if you don't feel comfortable coming in. However, there's a lot that we can still do if you wanted to come mm-hmm. in. And I'm all about rest. If you want to rest, that's fine. But what you said about having good programming that can work around some of those injuries, I think that's really smart. So knowing that you don't have to be mm-hmm. sidelined. And then the other point that you made, which is there's an inherent risk in everything we do. It made me think of when I did, when I took the USAW course to become certified, they talk about yeah. injury, injury rates in the Olympics. And mm, yeah. Olympic lifting, which by far looks and appears to an outsider to be extremely dangerous, you are throwing hundreds of pounds over your head and diving under the bar, right? To a bystander who doesn't really know Olympic lifting, that's what it looks like. And you think, oh my gosh, that looks so dangerous. Olympic lifting has one of the lowest injury rates in the Olympics. Yeah. Which is wild, which is wild. And then I think, um, I can't remember which one was the highest, but I want to say it was like running or something, you know, like marathon runners. Yeah. Okay. It's running. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's I've read that too. uh, Pretty recently. So, okay. Going with that, the, the, the Olympics, I think that is tied to, if you get to the Olympics and you're an Olympic weightlifter, you spent probably most of your life with a barbell in your hand. Um, at you know different weights from infancy all the way up. And I'm sure there's some exceptions, but a lot of your life has been spent with a barbell, and you become so good and so in tune and move so well that you uh, your injury rate is going to be go down go down unless you have some sort of freak accident. Like we saw Brooke Wells was a CrossFitter, but you did you see her do a snatch? I think last year's games, two years ago. No. So Brooke Wells, you know who Brooke Wells is, right? Yeah. Yeah. She was, I think this is 2021 and she was at the games. She went under like a 190 snatch and she got it overhead here. She got under it, got overhead and then her elbow went or the other way, you know, it went, it just like it went and she dropped the weight, fell forward 
and she's obviously grabbing her, you know, it was a horrible accident. And uh, she, she tore her like UCL, like a ligament just completely like pulled off. Um, so uh, Tommy John surgery is what she needed, which is popular in baseball, but that's what she needed mm. to repair the ligament. So um, it, like freak accidents happen in Olympic yeah. weightlifting, but like that was like one. Yeah. Right out of how many snatches, how many lifts have ever happened in the Olympics and CrossFit, and that's probably the worst accident that's ever happened. So it does happen, but I think the difference is barbell Olympic weightlifters. Uh, you're so well trained, and you're so used to being with those weights and under that weight that injuries are pretty uncommon. It's a safe sport. Whereas running, a lot can happen when you're running. You could step on a rock. You yeah. could. Step off a curb, you could pull a muscle, you could be, you know, altered hydration status, you know, anything can happen with such a longer bout of exercise. Um, But yeah, that's very interesting for sure that weightlifting is low. Yeah. Really quick. I, one of my clients right now is uh, a runner and occasionally he'll do trail running. Anytime he does a Mm. trail run, he always trips and falls. And he always bruises his ribs. Oh, my gosh. Ever since I started working with him, which has been, you know, I mean, almost a year at this point, he'll be like, oh, I have a trail run this weekend. I'm like, be careful. And then the next time I see him, he's like, I fell and I bruised my ribs. And it's so it's so (laughs) painful. Everything we do, he's, you know, you're bracing your midline and his ribs are killing him. I'm like, oh, this is this is really tough. Wow, why I wonder why he just keeps going, just wants to trail run. He, he so doesn't for him, really... like it becomes worth it, right? He wants to do it. I I think he much prefers um half marathons and marathons where he's running on pavement. However, his friends like to do trail running. And so I think it becomes kind of a social thing for him to go and do trail runs with his friends. So that's why he does them. Yeah. But man, I mean, he's, he's actually taking a three week break right now because he recently bruised his ribs and he kind of kept working through it for about two weeks. And then he said, Oh, I went to the doctor and my doctor said they're actually cracked. So I said, okay, so he's going to take a little bit of time off. Yeah, that's, you said, okay. Okay. <laughs> that's not surprising. Yeah, yeah. For how much you say did. But that that's another great point too. The the peer pressure, right? The FOMO of like being injured and not wanting to g- sit on the sideline or whatever or alter mm-hmm. the workout or alter what you're doing because there's that pressure. Whether it's like in person, there's like social media pressure too where you see other people doing stuff and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I gotta do that too. And yes. that's where things can get sticky as well, where you're just like CrossFit's like really bad at it, um, at regulating it for sure that you don't need to do more. <laughs> you, do, you don't need to do more. Mm-hmm. But there's like those pressures from social media of other people doing things or they see a workout they want to do or they see, uh, you know, whoever games regional athlete doing stuff. Yeah. And like, oh, I want to do that. I could do that. A day in the life of Rich Froning. I train at five. I do my cardio at five. <laughs> I eat breakfast at six thirty. I yeah. stretch from seven thirty. I do my Bible study, and like, and then I work out at twelve. And I eat, and then I rest again. And then I hit another wad at four thirty. And it's like, dude, you 
are not rich froning and i'm not rich froning and <laughs> anyways um yeah that's a rant but like there is social pressure for sure mm-hmm. to want to like push through injuries or just like negate them avoid them yes which isn't smart basically yeah that's such a good point um let's talk about injury prevention and i'm curious to hear maybe a handful of ways that you would recommend preventing injuries well um it depends on the injury in it uh there is no way to fully prevent an injury um but you can do the best you can with what we know so let's take i don't know what do you what which one do you want to do Oh, you want me to pick? Injury. Name okay, something let's... you've had. Yeah. Oh, let's do knee injuries. Okay. All right. So, like, what you dealt with was like uh, patellar tendonitis, knee tendonitis. Yes. So how to how to avoid that? Well, what what you did when you got that, and this might sound familiar to other people, um, a lot more barbell squatting, front squatting, back squatting. Um, and you do, were doing a squat every day program. If, do you remember that? Where you yeah. literally back squatted or overhead squatted. Some sort of squat variation every day. So that in mm-hmm. itself is probably an issue for the average gym goer. And again, mm-hmm. I know we hate using average, but like, let's like pull the curtains back. Like objective view of a person, right? That's probably too much. Um, so on top of that, um, there could be most of that tendonitis, the itis issues happen because of some sort of imbalance in in the musculature so like really quad dominant versus hamstrings are super weak and then my mm-hmm. hip, hip flexors are really tight and then my glutes are really weak glute medius is really weak so let's say you kind of you come to the gym um it's it's wednesday and on tuesday you back squat and your knee was a bit sore but wednesday you feel okay well let's say you're smart and you tell your coach hey i i uh my knees were kind of sore yesterday and during squats, and I didn't feel like I could do quite as much, but they feel okay today. Well, if it's like a one-on-one session or it's like you with your clients, you're gonna, you can change your programming and you have control of it. What can you do? You want to strengthen glutes. You want to strengthen the hamstrings. You want to mobilize um, hip flexors, usually, right? That's like broad stroke generally right most people are pretty quad dominant and have tight hip flexors Mm -hmm. so what can we do to do that um glute medius uh favorite one is uh box step down lateral box step down and this is we've talked about it before where you have one leg on the box and the other leg sits off and you slowly lower tap your heel and come right back up awesome 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 way to get your butt active another great one barbell glute bridge holy smokes if you ever done like three sets of 10 barbell glute bridge with like moderate weight that will make you find your butt god because i did it the other day and man it was it really you feel it right away three sets of 10 i don't know 60 70 percent so that would those would probably be my two top butt exercises before you even do those there's something you can do as well. Even if you're like, well, I don't have time to like implement or I'd, whatever. Those don't sound super interesting to me. Let's take five minutes and let's do uh, a warm up. Let's put a band around your ankles. Let's do banded side steps, right? Let's do 30 seconds of banded side steps. Just go back and forth. 
30 seconds. The next 30 seconds, do monster walks so you're in and out, right? Mm -hmm. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> um, do 30 seconds forward and back, and then do your, uh, your straight leg, like straight leg walks where your legs are straight and you're walking that way, right? Yeah, the, the penguin. The penguin walk. Thank you. I was trying to make a demo for people that are just listening. I did the, you saw my hands move, so yeah. you got it. But the penguin walk. So those three, 30 seconds each, boom. Glutes are, you got some blood flow to your glutes and uh, your brain is kind of working towards them now. The next one, which is interesting, which I've been doing lately, is a banded uh, psoas march. So you put the band around your feet, right? So it's kind of going across your laces and underneath your shoe or your foot and you keep your toes pointed up and you lift one leg and back down and the other leg back down Ooh. like a march. So that is mobilizing the psoas muscle which is this deep 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 hip flexor goes from uh, i think l345 to your femur so when that contracts that pulls your femur up like a march so you mm. contract with a band and then you lower down and that lowering the eccentric phase mm -hmm. uh will help uh elongate that muscle relax it back um so that's great great warm-up too because a lot of uh, we're talking about hip, tight hip flexors with the knee. That's a big one. That's a huge, huge one. And that can also be huge for low back pain as well. A lot of low back pain that you feel probably may, I can't say probably can't tell anybody for sure, but a lot of it is like psoas issue where that muscle is just really, really fucking tight um, or it's spas, spasming and just releasing that and getting it to relax will get rid of your low back pain. It's actually a hip flexor issue. You feel it in your low back because that's where it attaches. So that's, those would be, if you don't, whatever, you're not into the exercises, the lateral step downs, the glute bridges, you should be, but at least take that minute and a half, two minutes to do the banded glute bridges, or sorry, the banded walk series and the marches, and that would put you in a good place. And I can go down a rabbit hole of other exercises we could do as far as like getting hamstrings and glutes involved, like rack deadlifts, like heavy rack deadlifts, uh, but won't. So let's uh, now let's say going off the knees. Um, are you okay? Can I keep going? Yeah, I was jotting down some notes. I'm going to include the psoas march as part of my mm -hmm. warm up activation series. Um, I do want to pause yeah. you for a second and just review when we're yeah. talking about knee injuries, you highlighted you know, a, the biggest problem that's leading to this knee injury or these, this tendonitis is muscular imbalance. It could be training sure. volume, but for average Joe, mm -hmm. it's muscular imbalance. So what you're doing and recommending is warm up and including what we call activation, which is engaging those muscles and getting them to fire. So that way, when you go to squat, those muscles are doing their job and the load is not landing on your knee. Is that right? Yeah, for the most part. Okay. Um, yes. So it's both. It's like training volume, but doing too much volume with on a system that isn't firing properly. Mm. Right? Yeah. So driving the car way too hard, way too fast with not the right oil or not the right gas. Yeah. And what, like, if you're really quad dominant, that quad, all your four-year muscles and that make up the quad, they cross over into the patellar, patellar tendon and cross the knee. Patellar tendonitis is just inflammation of that tendon. 
the tendon connects to all the muscles. So if you're constantly stretching that muscle out, you're pulling on that tendon. You're causing microtrauma to the tendon, and that's what mm. causes the itis, the inflammation, right? So it, by leveling out, getting your hamstring stronger, getting your glutes stronger, getting a stronger base there, you're not relying on your quads to push or to pull yourself really through a squat, mm-hmm. through the concentric phase, meaning the upward phase, the part you have to contract. So you have your hamstrings and glutes more involved that can assist and get you up out of the hole, right? You're mm-hmm. not relying on your quads as much. Um, yeah. That makes sense. If you just think about it and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Is that being quad dominant? Is that pretty common? It's pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't have a specific number, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think a lot of people are quad dominant for sure. I know I am for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, I was going to say if listeners are interested in glute exercises in particular which is going to help with preventing knee issues we did an episode it was episode 96 it was the top three butt exercises for aesthetics and athletics that was whoa that was 96 yeah but that's a great episode yeah yeah that's a great one one of my favorite episodes that we ever did Yes. Mm-hmm. And we that also, really, yeah, we outlined kind of the same two exercises, the, the step downs and the bridges. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, that's a good one. I, I highly recommend that episode. When it comes to knee injuries, is there anything else you want to add? No, I think that's it. I think the biggest uh, take home would be if you feel it, get ahead of it, make a change because yeah. if it becomes chronic, then you're really dealing with issues that will, would, cause you to possibly go to PT, get like hands-on manual treatment and all that other stuff that takes time out of your day and takes you away from your training. Yeah. I love that. If you feel it, get ahead of it. That's good advice. Yeah. Let's, let's move on. We'll talk about another common injury and your tips for prevention. Let's you mentioned you've experienced low back pain and that's also very common. Um, and very mm. universal for most people. So let's talk about low back. Okay. Let's talk about low back. I've dealt with low back pain for as long as I can remember, honestly, uh, as an athlete. Interestingly enough, once I started training more with a barbell in CrossFit, or rugby, that's when it really kind of exposed itself. I don't think CrossFit and like things like that are to blame. I think, again, it was the training volume on an imbalanced system, the system that like my body wasn't ready um, and the right muscles weren't there. So low back pain is, is honestly very similar to what we do with like knee pain as far as like the imbalances. So um, one common scenario is tight hip flexors, Weak glutes, weak core, and tight hamstrings. Okay, so it's like an X. If you're looking at yourself from a side profile, right? I'm like this, okay? Mm -hmm. I have a weak core on one, and then the other side is a tight hamstring. Mm, Okay, so one side is weak, one side is tight. 
Then you have tight, uh, tight hip flexors and weak uh, glutes. Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, cross syndrome. Lower yes. cross syndrome is kind of like what a textbook yeah. would call that. Um, and that causes kind of like a shift in your pelvis too. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I bet this is so common because we all sit we, most of the day, mm-hmm. right? So our glutes are pretty inactive. Our hamstrings are tight. Our hip flexors are tight. We're not using our core. Yeah. Right. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you think about what those those four points, right? The what the four tight and weak points mm-hmm. sitting puts you into position where those would occur. Mm-hmm. So your core doesn't have to be very active when you're sitting, right? You can lounge back like this and you don't have to use your core too much. Mm-hmm. Uh your butt, you're sitting on your butt, your hamstrings are in a shortened position and your hip flexors are in a shortened position. So it all makes sense. So but what does that mean? When you go and if you have those going on and you try to go do a squat. I want to focus on squats. Because um, I think deadlift is kind of a cop out. You go do a squat. Your core is not turned on. Um, it's not active. So we're not bracing as well as we could. And we go down. We get to the bottom. We have weak glutes. Right. So now our, our, our hips are unstable. Right. So when we go and kind of get that bounce in the bottom of our squat, that uh, can cause little micro um shifts either in our pelvis or our lumbar spine um that over time eventually something could potentially slip or or bulge or something like that so that's as far as like going into like disc health um which can cause low back pain if you have a bulging disc more people have bulging discs than what they think sometimes people don't have symptoms um right away mm-hmm. But that can cause sciatic pain, like nerve pain down the back of your leg. Then we talk about tight hip flexor. And this is the big one that I'm discovering now with people that have hurt their backs. It's been when they are under a heavy back squat load and aren't bracing correctly. And they have this psoas muscle that we already talked about. So mm-hmm. it connects, for, I think it's, I'm pretty sure L345 to the femur. So the hip flexor, when you go down, into a squat, that hip flexor is going to shorten, right? And when you come out of that, it's going to elongate. Well, what's happening is you don't have the mobility. That is tight, so you don't have the mobility to go down, but you have weight on your back, so you're going down. That weight is putting you into a position that you're not ready for. And then you come up, and you might feel something right away, potentially, right? Let's say the instance Mm -hmm. where you do get hurt, you feel something right away that did not feel very good and then you feel like you can't stand up straight right i don't know if anyone has ever had that feeling i have it right now actually i'm dealing with some of this where i can't really stand straight up because like it hurts it takes me a while to like get up Mm. and standing straight in my low back and that's because the psoas is pulling you forward Mm -hmm. because it's spasmed tight and that psoas is usually what's causing more low back pain than actual low back pain as far as bulging disc. Um, herniated disc, a little bit different, but a lot of people do have bulging discs that don't cause any pain. Usually the psoas muscle that's spasmed because, yeah, one reason could be we sit too much mm-hmm. or we're not bracing properly. We're not warming up properly. Yeah, low back pain, huge contributor. 
huge, huge in the medical field is, I mean, it's a billion dollar industry. Low back pain is surgeries. You talk about, you know, you go into lumbar fusions and what a mess those are. Um, I think for the most part, we're getting away from some of those. I have a lot of patients by a lot. I mean, like, like two or three more than I used to that have had, um, like implants of these machines that disrupt pain signals. So like, oh it's gosh. not a fusion. Anyway, it's kind of, kind of interesting, but like, you don't want to get to that point. Like, I think we're yeah. all on a track where we're all on a page where we want to pursue health and, uh, excellence without interruption from the health, the pharmaceutical injury, the surgery, the doctors and things like that. Like we want to keep them away mm-hmm. um, as much as we can. Um, and going through exercise, working out, it's, uh, it's good for us, obviously, for all the reasons that you can think of. Mm-hmm. But there is that risk that if you hurt your back, that's a big injury. Um, and if you're not informed on how to fix it, then where do you go? Yeah. You go to the doctor, right? Yeah. And what do they do for you? Give you some medicine because um, they can't just prescribe or send you to PT. So you have a really good story. Let's hear it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm working with a client right now and she came in. We hadn't worked together for a little while because she was pretty busy over the summer, but she came in and she said her tailbone was hurting. And She said her tailbone. Hmm. I assumed she bruised her tailbone. She fell. She's like, no, 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 no. It's not bruised. I went to the doctor. Oh. Okay. What, what did the doctor tell you? And she said, they told me it was my tailbone. I said, okay, what did they recommend? You know what the doctor recommended? Can I, I'm going to take a guess. It's probably yeah. wrong. Guess. Sit on like a special pillow of some kind or like one of those neck pillows or something. You're, you're not far off. The doctor told her to take Motrin and to take a hot bath every night. So this is someone, she also has sciatic pain and she, she, she works a desk job all day. Let me ask you this. If this client came to you, what you mentioned a few things, you know, core stability is really important. So as tight hip flexors, glutes, hamstrings, what, what would be like your dirty, quick protocol for her? For a tailbone? Well, actually is okay. Go ahead. Yeah. What else? I, I want to say this. I don't think it's her tailbone. I think it's her low back. But I think everyone is just referring to it as tailbone pain. That's, that's an assumption, though. Okay. Let's say, let's go both ways then. Okay. Let's say it is her tailbone. I mean, I, I rest, because the tailbone's like a fixed, a fixed thing. And if it really, I've had, so funny thing, won't go too far, but snowboarding my freshman year of college, I went off a big jump and fell right on my tailbone. And like, I got a legitimate like tailbone bruise, bone bruise. 
and I couldn't run. I could not walk comfortably. I couldn't run for probably six to eight weeks because it hurt so bad. Mm-hmm. So in that instance, it's just rest. And sometimes there are good things. Sometimes with the doctor, you can do a cortisone shot. And if you're a healthy person and you've never had a cortisone shot before, sometimes that's enough to just like kill the inflammation, and get you over. But anyway, let's say that she's just like has no idea what's going on with her body. It's not her tailbone. It's her low back. Still tough because now you're trying to convince. Now this is more like a mental challenge, right? It's more of like, how do we get you bought into the fact that, you know, this is a low back issue and not and not a tailbone issue? And how do we buy you into the fact that we can still work out and bend and squat with this injury to make it better? You don't need to avoid things. That's the first thing that like you get from doctors. Avoid this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Because again, they have their they have something to protect too in themselves, or maybe they just don't know, I guess, you know, they're, they go to medicals, not, I'm not discounting doctors, obviously, but there's a point where doctors go to medical school for medicine. Um, and then coaches, personal trainers, uh, um, PTs, PTAs have a different education, mm-hmm. um, that might know different things. So what I would give her is I would probably put her on a bike um and let her bike for a while and i would probably just talk to her for like 10 to 15 minutes about and make her explain to me what she's feeling when she feels Mm. it what it feels like what reproduces it um like i know like uh sometimes you hear people say like don't touch your clients don't touch don't palpate whatever i would like i would touch around right i would feel i would see what like if i can palpate something that hurts Mm. um yeah you know, if it's a tailbone, like that's kind of a weird spot, maybe on like a late, like a female, especially you don't know, you know, I don't know, just if you have mm. good judgment or whatever, but, uh, that's what I would do. And then once we're done talking, hopefully we get some sort of resolution there. She's on a bike. She should be pretty warm now. I would do what you did with Dolores. I would, I would give her things, but I would call them something totally different. I would say we're going to practice picking stuff off off the ground. It depends on how old they are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like that would work with like an older lady who doesn't have exercise experience. Um, if it's an athlete, you could probably convince them easier to do things. Um, as far as specific exercises, I would go unilateral. So mm. one leg at a time. Um, probably for anybody that's dealing with low back pain too. I didn't really give a solution before when we're talking about low back pain it's just talking about a reason a potential reasoning for low back pain so Mm. solutions would be um unilateral work so uh bulgarian split squats are great uh or supported single leg romanian deadlifts so supported i mean hold on to a rig Mm. or something fixed either go unweighted if you're if you're experiencing some pretty good pain and go slow eccentric, so pushing your legs back slow, slow, slow till you get down as far as you can without pain, mm-hmm. and then squeeze, really focus on contracting up. From there, you can add weight as you go, dumbbell, kettlebell in the hand. Um, I would do that with anybody. Anybody, because it's supported, they should have a good enough balance, and it's unilateral, um, and I would do that uh, three to four sets, six mm-hmm. to eight reps, maybe up to ten, and then. Uh, the other one, Bulgarian split squats, same thing. Uh, that is doing two things. The front leg 
you're getting a lot of quad activation, which can be good. I'm not, it's not, you shouldn't avoid quads, right? It's important to get blood flow to the quads to help uh, stimulate healing. So that's really good for that. It's good for stability in the hip and the glute as well. But what's also happening on the back leg, which we often forget about because you feel it in the front leg a lot, when you're going down in the split squat, what's happening to the back leg? It's stretching, mm. right? You're in like a stretched position for your hip flexor. So uh, if you were to go to the bottom of a Bulgarian split squat with one leg back on a bench and the other leg on front of you, that's a couch stretch. Yeah. Right? For hip flexors. So that's a really important point, too, that you're still working on that back leg. It's really important to go slow on the way down with that if you're working on dealing with low back pain or knee pain, too. You, they're fine with knee pain as long as they don't reproduce the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the two that I would do for low back pain on top of having someone teach you how to brace is mm-hmm. probably before all of those. Um, and then you can still do the glute activations. Uh, mm-hmm. The banded series, the banded yeah. monster walks and sidesteps. Those are, you can't, like, he, those are never going to make you worse. None of these mm-hmm. things are ever going to make you worse. So there's really no excuse not to do them. Yeah, I think those are, would be what I would do for her and anybody else with low back pain. That's where I would start. Um, I asked her how long this had been going on for, and she said six months. She's been having this. Whoa type of low back pain yeah right long time yeah and i mean yeah so i don't think a hot bath in motrin is going to do much but you need corrective exercise like you need to do something about it it's not it's like all of these things the chronic six months that's chronic yeah your knee pain chronic i have bicep tendonitis i have late girl or one of our friends at the gym biceps tendonitis comes and goes for the past four months um plantar fasciitis all of these things are like walking in a dark forest and however long you have this pain that's how long you're walking in the forest mm-hmm. just you have exercises let's say you get the exercises that you need you have the solutions that you need and it's not like someone's picking you up out of the forest and bringing you back and placing you in a nice field mm-hmm. you have to walk back out it takes time to come back out only with intentional effort though so if that's the thing too, like if you only, if you think that manual therapy is going to help it on its own, uh, cupping, scraping, KT tape, hot, cold, sauna therapy, even stretching, if you think that's going to help uh, on its own, you're wrong. It's yeah. not. It's not going to do the trick. It might give you temporary relief for you to go do your workout, but it's going to come back. Yeah, um, and those things do have a place. Let's talk about what what place those have. Yeah, if you want to to stretch, right? Stretching is mostly good for calming the nervous system. So that lends a, lends the question: Is there really such a thing as muscular restriction? As far as like within the muscle, is there anything? Like, what is a muscle knot? What is that? Mm-hmm. And if stretching doesn't solve it, what does? Does foam rolling? Um, what, what can cure it? Cause stretching is mostly calming the nervous system down. Tight muscles are from constant posture, but are also due to this nervous, our nervous system just being really jacked up, mm. anxious, uh, neurotic, you know, you hold stress somewhere in your neck and your traps, right? Like yeah. outside stress 
our body holds it somewhere. The body keeps the score for those things. So stretching can calm those things down and open up. And that makes you think, oh, my muscle got longer. But really, your just nervous system, your neurons are relaxed, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Which, yeah. all right, well, I guess if you have more range of motion, that's good, right? Um, but don't confuse it with, with increase in mobility or uh, the muscle um, the muscle anatomy actually changing. That's really, mm-hmm. it's not changing too much. Um, but what can they be good for? If you kind of are restricted overhead with a press, pressing overhead, you can't really get all the way overhead, or your snatch catching in the bottom, you can't really get it in the right position. All right, well, before your session, we can mobilize, we can do a banded lat distraction, we can foam roll our lats, we can open up a bit, foam roll our biceps, our triceps, we can do uh, flossing, what you do mm-hmm. um, for the knee, uh, we can do it on the shoulder, we can floss. Uh, we do um, voodoo band, like elbows, wrists, anything like that. We can open up our range of motion, and then we can go do a weighted uh, squat or a weighted press overhead, and we can strengthen in that new range of motion. And that would mm-hmm. be the way to increase mobility mm-hmm. to avoid those injuries. Um, but that's what stretching is good for. That's what foam rolling is good for. Those things don't cure. They haven't been shown to cure much. So that's, that's what those are good for. Yeah. It's, I love that you recommended corrective exercises over, I would guess I'm going to say these passive forms of passive forms of therapy. Therapy. Yeah. Yeah. The, the woman I'm working with, the client she sees a massage therapist. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And she no. sees a chiropractor. Nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that. However, her pain is still here six months later. Because there really hasn't been any corrective exercises. Besides meeting with me maybe once a week. And it should be the other way around, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because you yeah. know what, you know these things too. You know how to help her. And it's not only like your job as personal trainer coach to uh, help her like through those things and give her the right exercises, but um, also change, like change what you plan for her uh, mm-hmm. and, and work with her one-on-one and keep her progressing to keep her on her feet mm-hmm. especially with somebody like she's a bit older right uh she's probably 10 years older than i am oh, okay so she's not one of the older i thought you had like uh, a few in like their 60s 70s stuff like that okay yeah i mean it's your job i mean you know it then you know how to do it and it should be the other way around especially someone that young too mm-hmm. like she's got <laughs> She's all the opportunity in the world, but people really like generalizing. I work as a PTA. Like I, work with, I work with people, a lot of people, and uh, they love manual therapy. They yeah. love when I cupped, scraped, rubbed, stretched. Oh, all they had to do was relax and like, yeah. oh, this is going to solve my problem. And really, it, it, they were there for mostly exercise, and we mostly used secretly 
use some most of the, a lot of that time to just kind of educate them, patient education, mm. um, and things like that, like activity modification, um, and, and stuff like that. But I, th- I honestly, it's hard to say what as far as manual therapy actually works. I'm sure people out there are really know more about it than I do. Um, I'm big on corrective exercise because that's what yeah. gets people moving and uh, actively strengthens themselves under their own body weight, which is mm-hmm. how you live your life is with your body. So you can't live your life with me, rub it on you. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I, yeah. I, I really like working with this woman and this yeah. conversation was really helpful. Um, it is hard though, when they've already bought into this idea of, oh, my doctor told me to take Motrin and take a hot bath. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I go to a massage therapist once a month and I see my chiropractor once a month. But I'm still in pain and it's been six months that I've been living with this pain. And I see her maybe once a week, but you know, we took a long break. We took a long hiatus in the summer. So it's, it's just interesting. It's interesting how people buy into these passive forms of injury not mm-hmm. prevention, alleviation. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it just comes down to education of the person, the athlete, client, the yeah. patient, that, you know, this is what's really going to help you. And most of the time they yeah. will respond and be like, okay, because you are yeah. the expert. You are the expert. They're coming to see you. Mm-hmm. Um, so be empowered. I mean, you are, you are empowered, I guess. If you are someone dealing with injury, please seek out good help. If you don't have yeah. good help, you can come ask us, obviously. Or, um, but you know, if you are a coach that has someone that comes to you like that for some reason, uh, and you're listening to us right now, you're empowered. You know what's best. You know, help them because a lot of the medical field, what I've learned of being in it, unfortunately, is that they're there to prescribe medicine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep. And that's Motrin. obvious. Uh, it is Mot- Motrin, Motrin and hot bass. That seems like 1800s ish, right? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like what that's like something that you would hear from like a doctor that comes to your house with a little bag and a little thing. And like she needs she needs bloodletting, hot tea and birds chirping in the morning. Yes, And like that's what's going to cure her. Right. Yeah. Like. Four peanut butter and jelly sandwiches a day. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, dude, it, it seems crazy because there's so many good sources um, of information out there. I will say yeah. one really good source, if, if this wasn't helpful enough for people to go seek out, is Active Life. They have Active Life is a profession. I think it's Active Life Professional on Instagram. And they mm. do a lot of injury prevention for people that are working out. They're like a good blend of physical therapy and... Nice athletic slash crossfit slash gym goers so they're really good source of information you can hire coaches from them or just like soak up the knowledge that they put out on their social media so um i've learned a lot from them and you can too yeah sweet bones this was a great conversation any final thoughts you want to share i don't i don't have any final thoughts we've exhausted it i appreciate you (laughs) being here with me and asking me these questions and (laughs) listen to me rant i go on some deep or not deep, but like long tangents. My brain's just like firing. So I appreciate you 
Thank you, Connor. I, I love it. I learned a lot today. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. And make sure you join us next week where we'll discover the warrior within. See you then.